It was sticky and hot in the back of that old brown Pontiac Catalina. It was a day in August in the late 70s, and my family and I were on vacation in the Outer Banks of North Carolina. Now, back then, most of the roads were not paved, and if you weren't careful, it was easy to become suddenly stuck in the sand. And in spite of my father's best driving efforts and my mother's best um, suggestions, there we were, stuck in that sand. We couldn't go forward, and we couldn't go in reverse. The more my dad tried to drive the deeper those pits under those tires became. We were stuck in the sand. I don't know who Chuck is or why he was stuck, but we were stuck like Chuck. And it wasn't fun being stuck in the back of that car. It was hot, and we were sweating, my brothers and I. My older brother, mercifully, was eventually called into service to help the grown-ups. Now, I envied him getting out of the car and being in on the action, but I was relieved to be rid of the behavior his boredom inflicted on me and my other brother. He was out and about, but Tim and I could just sit there on those vinyl seats and sweat. Stuck to the vinyl stuck in the back seat, stuck in the car that was stuck in the sand. How often do we become stuck in the sand of life, stuck like Chuck? No matter what we do, we can't move forward and we can't go in reverse. Maybe you're like me, stuck between full-time vocational opportunities. Maybe you're stuck in a dead-end job, stuck in a relationship that can't move forward and can't go back. Maybe stuck in a culture that just can't go anywhere, stuck in a cycle of poverty, stuck in a body that doesn't do what it used to, stuck waiting. Advent feels like stuckness to my daughters. They are seven and five. And no matter how hard they try or how hard they wish, they just can't make Christmas come any faster. They're stuck, waiting. Maybe we're waiting for chemo to pass, a jail sentence to pass, the holidays to pass. Stuck stuck in the sand. Maybe we're stuck in the sand emotionally. Depression and grief just don't seem to get better. Or maybe spiritually we're stuck. What is it that you want from me, God? I just don't know anymore. Doesn't feel like you're present with me. What do I do now? The letter that Jeremiah sent to the people in exile in Babylon speaks to me about being stuck in the sand. He writes to these people who are stuck in exile, and he says, You know what, folks? You're going to be there a while. The false prophets are coming along, and they're telling them, Hey, you're not going to be there very long. You're going to get to go right on back to Jerusalem, so don't bother settling in. You don't need to build a house. You don't need to plant gardens, because God's going to deliver you right away. 
Used to be folks would tell my inmates that at the prison. They'd get a 10-year sentence, and somebody would come along and say, you know, God's going to get you right on out of here. You're not going to have to pull those 10 years. False prophets that come along because we don't like to see people stuck. But Jeremiah says, you know what? You're going to be here 70 years even. Guess what? The prophetic word sometimes says you're stuck. And these are difficult words to hear because we're in a microwave drive through fast-paced society, and we want everything fixed yesterday. We can't stand the idea that we have to wait for appointments or the cable guy or food. Can you imagine it takes 10 minutes to microwave lasagna? <laughs> 10 whole minutes. We don't want it to be fixed in 10 weeks. We want it fixed today. We want answers now. And somehow, if we don't get them now, we think God isn't working with us. God isn't moving. But sometimes the prophetic word is, guess what? You're stuck. You're going to have to wait a little while. You're going to be there a minute, so settle in. Take a deep breath. We're not comfortable with that. We're not happy about the idea that we're stuck places. And all too often, we try not to get stuck. People come along with their well-intentioned advice. Here's what you need to do. Turn your steering wheel to the right. Push on the gas, and that'll get you out of the sand. No, no, what you need to do is turn your steering wheel to the left. Put it in reverse, and that's what's going to get you out. But none of it rings true. Sometimes advice is just that, and it doesn't really help. We're not comfortable with other people being stuck, and we're not comfortable being stuck ourselves, and we want it resolved right away. But Jeremiah says it doesn't work like that. Sometimes the difficult prophetic word is you are where you are. There was a little boy walking along, and he happened to see a chrysalis. And he stopped to look at it, and there was a little teeny slit in this chrysalis this cocoon, a little slit there, and he could just begin to see the edges of a butterfly trying to get through that slit. And that butterfly was really struggling. It was stuck. The slit wasn't long enough. The boy could see that. And that butterfly was really fighting hard to get out of that chrysalis. And the little boy had compassion, and so he took out his pocket knife and very, very carefully walked up and slit that a little bit longer so the butterfly could come out. He made it much larger. So the butterfly did. The butterfly's wings went through. Ah! And it fell to the ground. It could not fly. For you see, the time stuck was what God used to strengthen the butterfly's wings. The struggle in being stuck was what God used to prepare the butterfly for the time when it would use those wings to fly. In God's plan, being stuck was what the butterfly needed to prepare it for what's to come. Being stuck is sometimes what God wants. When we're stuck, what do we do? When we're stuck, can we give ourselves permission and just say, you know what, this may take a while. It's going to be a minute. Because that's just the way things are. 
But being stuck doesn't mean God doesn't love us. Being stuck doesn't mean God doesn't hear us. Being stuck doesn't mean God isn't caring for us. In fact, it may mean just the opposite, that God is caring for us by setting us a time to wait, a time to rest, a time to be, a time to heal. Being stuck may just be God's plan, God's purpose. And we have to wait. We have to endure it. And it may not be awful. It may not be bad. And it may not have anything at all to do with us. Maybe the circumstance needs to change, or maybe we need to see something differently. But like it or not, the prophetic word from Jeremiah is, sometimes you're stuck like Chuck, stuck in the sand. But Jeremiah goes on to tell the people, if you're going to be stuck, since you're going to be stuck, there's some things you've got to do. I want you to plant your gardens, grow something to eat, because you're going to be here a while. You'll need to feed your families. I want you to build houses, because you're going to be here a while. You're going to need shelter. I want you to take care of this place where you are in exile, for in its welfare is your welfare. You must pray for this place, bless this place, heal this place. you got to get on with the business of life. I want you to get on with the business of living. Go and live your life fully. Get married, have babies, go about and multiply. Do the job of life. When we're in our stuck places, I think all too often we think, oh, when my stuck time is over, then I'll. When my divorce is final, then I can be happy. When my chemo is over and I get a good result from the doctor, then I can relax. When my retirement comes, then I can really enjoy life. When the kids get out of the house, when I clean the garage, when I fix the office, then I know I can really enjoy my life. But that's not the word from Jeremiah. The word from Jeremiah says we need to live our lives where we are now and not wait. We need to live our lives fully while we're stuck. I have an acquaintance I met this summer who's a four-time Olympic athlete. He is a professional sprinter by trade from the Ivory Coast. And I met him in Norfolk, Virginia, where he was stuck like Chuck. He was stuck in the sand, for the Ivory Coast had withdrawn all passports. They had been accused of having the greatest number of terrorism and fraud issues with passports, so everybody had to return theirs and have them reissued. His was reissued with a misspelling in his middle name. So he was not able to go anywhere. He started working on it the previous October, every day on the phone, trying to get somebody. And here we were in June. His lease was up. His flight was ready. His games in Europe were ready to begin for him to earn his living. And they had not fixed his passport. In the Ivory Coast, government offices are not open Monday through Friday, 8 to 5. Sometimes people just shut the office and go back to their village for four, six weeks at a time. So there's no telling when somebody would be available or how much they would want to move things along a little more quickly. So his flight came, his lease was up, and he had no place to live, no job, no way to earn an income, and no reasonable passport. He was stuck. 
But he made a decision to live life while stuck, and he found a, per- a friend who had a room that he could borrow. And so he moved his few things into that room. He went ahead and got a job at Dillard selling shoes because that's what he could do to make a little income, to have a little food. He got up every morning and still worked out, still practiced his sprinting, still worked those muscles in preparation for what he hoped would come. And there was a lady he'd met that he thought he wouldn't have the opportunity to get to know a little bit better because of his flight to Europe. But since it was canceled, he had a little more time to get to know this lady friend. So he's stuck like Chuck, but he's making the best of the circumstance, maybe even finding Mrs. Wright in the midst of it, living life while stuck. Because not everything is stuck. It's just the tires in the sand. Perspective is one of the greatest tools that God gives us for healing and for hope. Maybe what we can do when we're stuck in life is look not just at those tires spinning in the sand, but at the majesty of the ocean that's just a glance away. Can Tim and I in the back seat of that car live life while stuck? We could play some games together, sing some songs, and I'm sure pick a few good arguments. What else can we do when we're stuck? When we're lost in grief and hurt, can we share some of our precious memories about those we love with others? Maybe make a scrapbook. When we're struggling with a body that won't do what we want it to do, can we take the time maybe to write down some memories for future generations? I know a woman, when a relationship went south and she was full of sorrow, decided to crochet a blanket. And she said, when I get done this blanket, I'll be better. I may not be well, but I'll be better. She crocheted and crocheted and crocheted. That blanket is king size and then some. But when she was done, she was better. What can we do in the places that we can move? For sometimes we get so focused on what's stuck that we fail to see everything else. I'm without a full-time job right now, and that's okay, because it means more time with my family, and that's a precious gift. Less money in the bank? Well, maybe walking those trips to and from instead of driving and using gas could help us with the extra weight that we've been trying to lose. Can we see the opportunities to plant gardens and to build houses, even when we might be stuck? And somehow trust that when the time is ripe, it'll be resolved. For I think that's the next message of Jeremiah, that sometimes you're stuck. Live your life while you're stuck. And then next, trust God while you're stuck. Trust that I have plans for you, he says, to benefit you and not to hurt you. Plans to, for your welfare. I have plans to restore you. And when the time is ripe, when it's right, when it's ready, it will come to you. Now the Babylonians, they weren't crazy. They were in charge. And the Israelite people, they were not happy about being under Babylonian rule. Seventy years. Some of those folks would never, ever get to see Jerusalem again. Some folks would live and die there. Some would only know Babylon is their home. But God says, trust, I'm going to restore you. 
And I think we need to be reminded to trust when we're in our stuck places. Because when we don't feel like God is moving fast enough for our taste, we begin to doubt. We begin to be vulnerable to those false prophets, like those inmates, vulnerable to somebody saying, yeah, you're not going to really have to pull all that time. And so he said, be on guard, but know that I'm watching. I've got you. So how do we trust God that the time will be ripe? How do we trust God in this? Bananas. Bananas. The fruit. Bananas. That's how I'm going to do it. And let me explain. Bananas are delicious. I love them, but I love them because they're a fruit that's perfect for someone like me who needs a Fruits for Dummies book. My husband has banned me from buying cantaloupes. I cannot do it. I cannot determine a ripe cantaloupe if my life depended on it. I cannot tell when fruit is ripe. But bananas, I can tell. They turn from green to yellow. And when they're really getting ripe, they get a few of those brown freckles on them. And I can tell that that's a banana that's ready to eat. Everybody has their own image of what is a perfectly ripe banana. I like mine yellow with a few brown freckles. That's when I know it's ready to eat. Bananas were made for people like me. They'll let you know when the time is ripe. Wouldn't it be great if our stuck situations were more like bananas? We could see them ripening before our very eyes. We could see the situation turning from green to yellow. We could see the situation getting ready to be ripe, those brown freckles starting to appear. And you say, all right, see, God's coming. I see God's coming. I'm not going to have to wait but another day or so. It would be wonderful if life were more like bananas. But we're asked to trust something we can't see. Trust a God we can't visually define is working on something we can't yet know to resolve a situation that we don't understand. That's no small feat. Trust that sometime grief will become more of a companion and a friend than a burden to bear. Trust that in time, depression can and will ease. Trust that in time, children do grow up and start making better decisions. Trust that in time, this too shall pass. Trusting that God has me in this. And maybe we won't see the situation ripen in our lifetime. For some of the women at Fluvanna that I love for so many years, they're serving life sentences, natural life sentences. That means they will die while incarcerated. They are physically stuck. But they've taught me so much about trusting God in the midst of stuckness. Because although their physical body must stay in this location, they still trust that God can heal them and grow them and use them, minister to them and help them minister to others even still. Trust that God has me and has this. No matter what the limitations I face may be, God is in the midst. And I can trust that I'm going to be restored. As a hopeful romantic, I'm a fan of the country music group Rascal Flats. 
They have a song that's being used as a popular wedding ballad these days called The Broken Road. The words say, Every long lost road led me to where you are. Others who broke my heart, they were like northern stars, guiding me on my way into your loving arms. This much I know is true, that God blessed the broken road that led me straight to you. I love the image of that, because isn't that just like God? To use our mistakes, to use our stuck places, to use the broken past, to lead us to where we need to go. And not just for romance, but for a job, or for a home, or for a resolution to a problem, to a dream come true, to somebody who somehow says something in a day that we need it, and it's just what we wanted to hear. Trusting that God is a God that uses even stuck places in God's plan. And ultimately, we're going to get to go home. Isn't that what the passage says? We'll return home. So we are to recognize sometimes we're just stuck. Live our lives the best we can while we're stuck. Trusting that God has us in the midst of that stuckness. In this Advent, some of us bring some great grief. This season, we need to hear the good news, and we just want the holiday to get over with. But maybe we can hope. Maybe we can use that hope that may be stuck in this grief right now, but I won't be stuck forever. Because God's going to bring me home one day, too. It was a long time stuck in the back of that car that day. We sweated a lot. Finally, there was a resolution. Some passerbys had some cardboard, and they got the cardboard under the tires, and a whole bunch of grown-ups began pushing, and my big brother in the front got to steer, and they managed to get that car out of those pits and on the road again. Now my brother was proud of his accomplishment, being able to help those grown-ups. My parents survived 46 years of marriage this August. My little brother and I did get to play some games, and we're no worse for the wear eventually. We didn't plan to get stuck. We didn't want to get stuck. But we're a little older and wiser for having been stuck. And ultimately, we got where we were going. Ultimately, God brings us home. As for me, I don't know where God's going to call me next. I am wide open. I am trusting that when the time is ripe, when that banana is ready, somebody's going to come along with some cardboard and some pushing to shove me in the right direction, and I'll know. But until then, this Advent, until then in life, When I find myself stuck, I'm going to try to remember to be patient with myself, to live the life I can, and to trust that God has it in the midst. Because if I'm stuck in the sand, if I just look up, I can see the majesty of the ocean, hear the crashing of the waves, the call of the seagull. And when I'm stuck, If I just look up, I can see the majesty of Jesus Christ, hear the calling of his name, and know 
one day.